to Dallas, Texas tonight to Chicago, Illinois, because Courtney Cronin is filling in for Ian Fitzsimmons tonight. You can find her at Courtney R. Cronin. You can find me as well at Amber W. Sports. Amber and Ian is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. So the MVP odds, Courtney, have Tyreek Hill sitting at plus 1,200, according to ESPN Bet. Those aren't terrible odds considering he's a wide receiver, but they would be bad odds if he was a quarterback because what we know about the MVP award, it is a very hard award to get if you are not a quarterback in the National Football League. So Tyreek is leading the way right now in terms of the odds from non-quarterback positions. Christian McCaffrey is at plus 2,500 behind Tyreek Hill. They've kind of toggled back and forth in terms of the odds this season. What would Tyreek Hill have to do in order to win this thing, Court? So he needs to crack 2,000 yards, but I honestly think he needs to do that on a team that goes to the Super Bowl. We know how difficult it is to win the MVP if you are a wide receiver because no one has ever done it. If anybody had a good case to do it, it was last year with Justin Jefferson just annihilating the NFL. And I think he finished outside like the top four maybe even outside of the top five for that award. It's become a quarterback award because that's how we value certain positions in the NFL. And we know that sprinkled in here or there, there's a running back. And that's pretty much it. What Tyreek Hill is doing, though, and I think that there's people who will look at this and say, well, that's just slander on Tua Tagovailoa by claiming that Tyreek is all of the offense and you know all of his yards go through his number one receiver. Well, it's kind of because it, it, it does. And you saw what happened. Five catches, two touchdowns on five catches, 157 yards when they just blew the doors off of the Washington Commanders in week 13, 45-15. If he has performances like this down the stretch of the season, if he can do it against Dallas, against a playoff contender, and if this team can go on a, like, you know, powerful run, because obviously MVP ends up coming down – the MVP awards come down before uh, the. Yeah, it's the, a regular season. Yeah, it's a regular season award. award. But, like, you have to be on a team that is well positioned for a deep playoff run. And honestly, the way that Brock Purdy has the San Francisco 49ers in line to do that, the way that Dak has been playing, even the way that Lamar Jackson, who quietly is, like, still in the mix here, very much a candidate, but because they didn't play this last week and because he didn't look like Superman against the Los Angeles Chargers the week before their bye, like, that kind of hurts his case. I think it's just going to be impossible for Tyreek to win. Like as much as I'd love to see him get this award because he's deserving of it. We, there's a reason that voters have not made the wide receiver position an MVP yet. And I don't know if it changes this year, unless something miraculous happens down the stretch. Two is a 24 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, about 3,500 yards so far this season, 70% completion percentage. He's been very, very good this season. Obviously Tyreek, certainly helps that equation. And it's not just Tyreek. There's a lot of good weapons around Tua. I think that makes it even more impressive what Tyreek has done because it's not as if Tyreek is the only receiver on that team. I mean, heck, he's not even the only fast receiver on that team. Jalen Waddle would like a word. And so with the weapons on that team, with the running game that that team has, you are talking about the best offense in the NFL. For Tyreek to stand out numbers-wise the way he does, I think it's all the more impressive because it's not just that every target 
target is his target, for example. He's not out there on an island by himself. And yet we're still talking about a receiver who could, for the first time in NFL history, break 2,000 yards. And even if he does, I'm here to tell you, he ain't got a shot at the MVP, even though he should. What Tyreek Hill would have to do to win the MVP would be to switch to quarterback. Like, that's what he would have to do. And that's how stupid it has gotten to me with the MVP award. Because I think that there are several players this season, not just Tyreek, who deserve it more than any quarterback so far. And in terms of the quarterbacks, we could have a conversation about who has stood out, but the conversation would change weekly because some weeks it looks like it's Dak. Brock Purdy right now has the same odds to win it as Dak. They both sit in the best odds right now at plus 300, according to ESPN bet. Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, all those guys have even CJ Stroud in the conversation for a while. All those guys have kind of flip-flopped all season long when you looked at the odds. What hasn't flip-flopped is that the Miles Garretts and the TJ Watts of the world have always been on the list, even though they're not going to have good odds because of the positions that they've played. Those guys, the Micah Parsons, the Miles Garretts, the TJ Watts, Tyreek Hill, Christian McCaffrey, those are the guys. One of those guys that I just named should win this thing if we're being true to what it is with the NFL MVP, and none of those guys have any sort of shot at winning this thing. Most valuable player talks about someone's literal value to a team. Is the team better? Like, How much worse off would the team be if that player was not playing in a game? And you have to ask yourself when it comes to like Tua's odds at plus 900 according to ESPN bet Tyreek Hill's 25 to 1 odds to win the MVP are his shortest all season and still so far off from like the leaderboard that you you play the game with yourself that if he's not on this team is this team still in line for the number one seed in the AFC? Are they still the new edition of the greatest show on turf? I know they've cooled off a little bit, but we know how dynamic this offense has been. And the answer to that is very simply no. There's a really good stat to show the importance of Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins, but also to the MVP candidate on his team that has the best odds in Tua. Going into Week 13, Tua had a 93, excuse me, a 95 QBR when targeting Tyreek Hill. That was the second highest QBR of any quarterback receiver duo in the NFL. Number one was Justin Fields targeting DJ Moore. Enough said, all the offense goes to DJ Moore because he is their best player on offense. When you have a Dolphins team that has Jalen Waddell on the other side as well, and Tyreek Hill and Tua have that big of a, you know, that high of a QBR collectively between them when he's targeting him, that shows you the importance he, he he holds to this offense. And that is the type of stuff that I think should weigh out more than just the quarterback position always being put first and in the front row for these sorts of awards because you bring up a compelling argument with the defensive players who know that they're never going to be the favorites for the MVP, but it makes the compelling case for the defensive player of the year award, especially in a year where we've got multiple guys with over 13 sacks it makes it that much more interesting down the stretch here to see who's going to run away with that. And some of those guys I just mentioned don't have the quarterback play around them, and their teams are still in contention for a postseason, largely because of those defensive performances. The truth is that the Dolphins wouldn't be the number one seed in the AFC right now without Tyreek Hill, and certainly they wouldn't be that without Tua, right? Like, it can be both. Both those things are true, but it ain't just Tua. It's not just a quarterback position. What I don't like, though, is that – 
somehow Tyreek being so good, people use that to sort of degrade what Tua has done this season. And Tua has had a very, very good season as well. Micah Parsons is one of those people. He is a linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. He has a podcast, the Edge Podcast. He talked about this connection to Tyreek Hill. I am talking crazy right now, and I'm talking very crazy. I truly believe I could be Tyreek Hill's quarterback. I could throw it up to Tyreek Hill. Oh, my goodness. Now, I have seen Michael Parsons throw a pass. <laughs> so maybe he could be a quarterback in the National Football League. I ain't counting Micah out. I do think Micah should be in contention for the NFL MVP. What I don't believe is that Micah Parsons could be anywhere near or even in the same universe as Tua Tungvaloa if he decides to play quarterback. I don't care who your receivers are. This argument with Tua, we knew this was going to happen, and the goalposts continuously get moved for him because, you know, He's undersized. The arm strength isn't, you know, what it doesn't stand on its own compared to some of the other quarterbacks. I'm just throwing out some of the slander that I've heard because I do our MVP file for ESPN.com. So you got to sort through a lot of these arguments. And then there's always the case of, oh, well, if he was in anything other than Mike McDaniel's offense, this quarterback would fail. He would not be putting up these sorts of numbers. This team wouldn't be, would not have an offense as explosive because it wouldn't have those two weapons on the outside to to insulate Tua. I don't find that fair because the results are not, like it's not just an on-paper sort of game. The results are the results, and Tua has the numbers that have him in line with the, what is it, seventh shortest odds to win the MVP. He's deserving of that in his own right. Now, do I think that his wide receiver teammate should be ahead of him in this? Yeah, I do. But that's just not the way that we view this award. Calvin Johnson, the caveat for him when he set the record for the single season receiving record in 2012 with 1,964, he was on a 4-12 in 12 Lions team. You knew from the jump that he was not going to be in contention because I believe the last player to win the MVP on a non-playoff team was O.J. Simpson in the 1970s. It doesn't happen but everything, at least now, is aligned to make history change with how, you know, where he's going to finish in terms of receiving yards, where Tyreek Hill's team's going to finish in terms of getting in position for the number one seed. Yet I still think, because of how we view quarterbacks and the overall totality of that pool with the MVP candidates, that he's going to end up finishing outside the top five, and it's going to stink when you see those results. But again, shoe in for offensive player of the year at the very least yeah well that's become the award that's like the real mvp that, what that feels MVP. like right it's they like you have an offensive mvp so and a defensive mvp like yeah i understand that's basically what they have but they that's should probably what they just have. rename it that way right because it's like offensive player of the year has become that defensive player of the year has become that an nfl mvp is just a quarterback's award like that's how it has panned out it would be so silly if tyree kill breaks 2,000 yards this season and still doesn't win the nfl mvp but i don't think he will Tua, by the way by any metrics this season when I'm pulling all the stats is a top 10 quarterback easily in the league Micah you're very talented but come on man coming up next here on Amber and Ian with Courtney Cronin filling in for Ian tonight is Josh Allen the best player in the AFC we'll get into it ESPN radio is also on the ESPN app
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We were just talking about the NFL MVP race and how it's basically become a quarterback award. And when I was pulling the stats, Courtney, because you and I were in a conversation about Tua Tungavaloa, Courtney Cronin, filling in tonight for Ian Fitzsimmons here on Amber and Ian. Amber and Ian presented to you by Progressive. When I was pulling the stats for this season so far for all of the quarterbacks and comparing them for the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, Josh Allen, by most all the metrics, is at the top of these lists. He is, you can still argue by the numbers, the number one quarterback in the league. And yet most people certainly would not have him there. And with the Josh Allen experience always comes double digit interceptions. We know that's a Josh Allen problem. The added caveat this season from a problematic perspective is that the bills generally aren't nearly as good as we expected them to be. Well, Mike Greenberg, He's the host of a show called Get Up here on ESPN, also the host of a radio show called Greenie. But this time he was on his television show on Get Up, and he says something very interesting about Josh Allen. Take a listen. Last week, I'm off with COVID, right? I'm not here, and I'm getting texts from people, oh, they're killing Josh Allen on your show over the interception that he threw in the Philadelphia game. Let me say something about him. There were 106 players in uniform for that game. Of them, by far, the one who played the best was Josh Allen. Mm -hmm. We focus more on the one bad play Josh Allen makes every week than the 60 that almost no one else in history possibly could. His team would be so bad if they didn't ask him to do absolutely Absolutely everything. He is the most unfairly judged player in the NFL. And a quick final thought, and I'll give it to you. They're playing the Chiefs this weekend. Yeah. If he had wound up on Kansas City with Andy Reid and those guys, Uh-oh. we'd be talking about him as being one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Josh Allen in that game against the Eagles, he was 29 of 51, 339 yards passing, a couple touchdowns passing, a couple touchdowns running, and an interception. Courtney Cronin, what do you make of that? I get where Greeny's coming from because had it not been for that miscommunication on the final, their only drive of overtime between himself and Gabe Davis, like they were confused as to like what the defense the Eagles were right. showing was, like then that game probably has a different outcome. But Greeny's point is that the 37-34 overtime loss the Bills had to the Eagles in Week 12 shouldn't fall squarely on Josh Allen's shoulders. He shouldn't be getting dunked on for this because he did play out of his mind up until that final moment. 
newsflash. When you are a quarterback, just like we were talking about, like if you if you don't want to be in consideration for any of these awards, if you don't want all of the glory and everything else, then you don't play the quarterback position because in those moments, that's when you have to come through and rise above to get your team past an absolute juggernaut of an opponent. And in that loss to Philly, 29 of 51, some wild throws from Josh Allen, which you have come to expect, you come to live with, but 339 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Like, he played well enough, if not even great enough for that team to win, and they didn't. And I bring this up because the the audacity that we're supposed to just leave Josh Allen alone and not say anything about his play, like, he has so many turnover-worthy plays, and the idea on Get Up where, where they were giving bold predictions today. Kimberly Martin said that she thought that Steelers and Patriots is going to be a high-scoring affair tomorrow night. So, yes, bold with a capital B and capitalizing all the letters. The bold prediction here was about Josh Allen throwing multiple interceptions at uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, look, look at where he is right now. I mean, he has 96 interceptions since he came into the league in 2018. Nobody else comes close to that figure. And you can understand why people want to poke holes in what feels like an MVP-worthy season that the Buffalo Bills feel like they're wasting because they're getting great performances by and large, from Josh Allen. It's always an interception that ends up ruining things or some other moment. It was scapegoated on Ken Dorsey a couple of weeks ago. He was fired. At some point, Amber, the Bills, Josh Allen, everyone's going to have to look around and say, well, there's nobody else to blame. Maybe it's the quarterback who can be good, but not great on a consistent basis to get this team past the other powerhouses in the AFC. Right now, they're not even a playoff team in the AFC playoff picture. Who saw that coming? Nobody saw that coming, and that's fair to mention when you bring up Josh Allen. The reason that I tend to agree with Greeny, though, in his take here is because for some reason the conversation from that game ends up revolving around Josh Allen, as it always does, and that's fine, and you're right. He's a quarterback. That's how it goes, especially when you're supposed to be one of the best teams in the NFL. But with Josh Allen, there does seem to be this idea that he's the problem and while ignoring the solution before that problem even exists, like, yes, he has accuracy issues. Obviously he takes chances that he shouldn't. He throws double digit interceptions basically every single season. I don't have his stats in front of me, but it feels like I'm talking about it every single season. I think he's had 13 already this season. That's a Josh Allen problem. Yes. Also, they would not have been in that game. They would not have been in overtime. None of that stuff would have happened. They would not have been competing against the Eagles if not for the unbelievable, ridiculous play of Josh Allen. And in that game, on that field, Josh Allen was easily the best player until that very final play, fine. But Josh Allen was the best player in that game, period. Point blank. He was the best player. I see James Steele right now shaking his head at me in the Zoom because James Steele famous Josh Allen hater. I think largely because somebody had the audacity once to try to take a little credit away from Patrick Mahomes and put a little shine on Josh Allen. And that's why James gets so upset. But James, you always hate on Josh Allen. You have to admit in that game, in that game, he was the best player on not even just the best quarterback. Cause that's easy. You can pull the numbers there from Jalen hurts, like easily the best quarterback. Jalen hurts fumbled in the end zone. I think in that game, didn't he? Jalen hurts also won he was the best that player. game though. I mean, he got them into overtime. He comes back from a 10 point deficit at halftime. He did it in back to back weeks with the chiefs on the road and then doing it there. 
isn't football about finishing the deal and which team is standing left standing at the end? Jalen Hurts was the quarterback of that team that ended up doing that. Now, obviously, there's holes that you can poke in the Philadelphia Eagles. Something doesn't feel right about them right now. But at the end of the day, Jalen Hurts was the quarterback of the winning team and how he got his team in position. You know, he didn't throw a game ceiling interception the way that Josh Allen did. So I don't think it's I think it's not fair oh. to say that Josh Allen, just because he had some gaudy three hundred thirty two yard passing game, I don't think that's fair. He so, he did it, wins and losses though aren't actually a quarterback. They're not a quarterback right? stat, but at the end, like you take a look at which quarterback to come back from a ten point deficit against a team that has been boat racing you in the first half to do that in back to back weeks, especially in the conditions that were there on that Sunday afternoon game in Philadelphia. That to me speaks more about what Jalen Hurts did coming off. Of, I think he had a groin injury as well in that, and to rise above to that level of play, do it with his legs and with his arm that to me is is the mark of the better quarterback play from that afternoon wow. James you Gosh. look like you want to say something yeah, because because everyone ignores his turnovers like and you the, can't that's the that's the total I body of his work. turnovers the he has 16 he's the, second in the league right now with 16 total 16? turnovers through okay. four, week 14 the Bills scored a touchdown to make it 24 to 14 in the second quarter Seven plays later, the Eagles scored a touchdown. It's 24-21. Guess what happened two plays later? Josh Allen throws an interception. Three plays later, the Eagles are up. 28-24. Why doesn't anyone say that about him? Why doesn't anybody talk about Jalen Hurts fumbling in the end zone? I mean, we can always do this. He had one interception in that game. He had one interception in that game, right? That we're talking about with Josh Allen. Josh Allen turns the ball over too much. Nobody's arguing that. But also, the Bills wouldn't be anywhere in contention in any of these games if not for the greatness of Josh Allen. If you put Josh Allen on that Eagles team, what do they look like? Did Jalen Hurts cause that deficit that he had to then come back at the end? I mean, we're splitting hillers here, but by the numbers, Josh Allen is easily the better quarterback in that matchup. More ESPN Radio. It's making headlines. Extra, extra, read all about it. But is it a big deal or not a big deal with Amber and Ian? And Courtney Cronin tonight, who's filling in for Ian Fitzsimmons. We appreciate her for doing so. Big deal, not a big deal with Amber, Ian, Courtney, and James Steele, of course, our producer. He always helps us out as well. Hello, James. Yeah, that's me. How's everyone doing tonight? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, all right. So apparently, a former Jacksonville Jaguars employee is accused of stealing more than $22 million from the franchise from 2019 to 2023 by exploiting the organization's virtual credit card program. What? And he used that money to buy, among other items, two vehicles, a condominium, and a designer watch worth over $95,000. What? How Wait, hold on, but he stole $22 million? Some of that money was also allegedly used to purchase cryptocurrency and place bets with online gambling sites. Oh, man, that was a was poor it, investment on his part. Was it $2.2 million or $22 million? $22 million. Uh, Courtney, is this a big deal or not a big deal? It's a big deal because I don't understand how, how this person... Who was named in this report, according to The Athletic, how they were able to steal $22 million worth of assets from the Jacksonville Jaguars and get away with it for as long as he did. Like, the things that he bought, the $95,000 designer watch, reportedly, reportedly, allegedly, allegedly. (laughs) 
two vehicles, an alleged condominium. I don't know where you're buying a condominium that's worth millions of dollars in Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, you would know better than me. Uh, any, like, any, anywhere, anywhere. Ponte Vedra, okay. really? On the, yeah, Jack's Beach. Like, any, any of it's going to be worth But, like, this happened from 2019 to 2023. How did this go under the radar Five all years. these years? Like, to me, that's a massive deal that they just found out about it, and The Athletic just reported this. There will obviously be more reactions. Certainly the team will be asked about this. But according to this report, the team said that in a statement in 2023, February 2023, they terminated the employment of this individual, Amit Patel, who was named in this filing, and then they've been, like, in an investigation and in cahoots with the feds and the U.S. Attorney's Office to go through all of this. Are these $22 million, and that might be a drop in the bucket to Shad Khan, but that's a pretty hefty chunk of change to just steal and go under the radar for five years? That yeah, that's is a not huge a, deal to me. That's not a drop in the bucket to the Jacksonville Jags. Like, I understand these owners are all very rich people who own these teams. But these teams do operate as businesses independently. And $22 million seems like a huge chunk of their bottom line. I mean, this is an unbelievable story. He was... Apparently, his role was manager of financial planning and analysis. So no wonder he could make it go away. He was the one controlling the the books. He financially planned for He financially planned planned for this scheme. The hell out of this thing is what he financially planned. Over $22 million, by the way. When he showed up... To the facility with a watch worth 100 grand on his wrist, and he wasn't a player. Nobody kind of looked at him sideways, like, "Hey, I'm sure you make like I'm sure the salary's good for his position, you know, like a few hundred thou or something." But like, "Hey, that rock, that watch on your wrist is your entire salary, boss. Like, what's happening here?" I know that yeah, we should dive bonuses. into this a little closer. Playoff bonuses are a big deal. That's why teams, and this is you, know, you know. And I'm trying to think. I mean, all the yeah, years. Yeah, what bonus? The Jags weren't winning a Super Bowl. Their employees well, weren't getting a Super Bowl Well, they went to the AFC Championship bonus. in 17. We also don't know. I mean, this apparently happened. The scheme happened from 19 to 23. I don't know how long right. this person was employed for. But, right. yes, to your point, nonetheless, like, this guy's wearing a Pettic Philippe watch. And, like, nobody that's just going, like, unscathed under over everybody's, you know, heads at that point. I got to be honest, too. If I had $23 million, which is almost what this is, I would probably do more damage than just like a condo and a couple cars and a watch. $23 million? Well, cryptocurrency, he thought he was on the cutting edge of uh, the investment world, and that one blew up in his face. He was on the cutting edge of something, allegedly. Now on the cutting edge of jail, probably. That's the show's show's, uh, key word there, Courtney. Allegedly. Allegedly. That's a lawyer in me. He's trying to keep it low-key with the condominium. And ninety five thousand. Yeah, except for the hundred, the hundo watch on what? your wrist, boss. Like that Can't is even. the tell. He's like, this is a knockoff. What are you talking about? Is when nobody, the feds are like coming to his house, is nobody worried about what he was betting on? Are we missing this point? It's true too. Twenty two mil. I could do a lot with twenty two mil on Fanduel. Like what? Like who is who is, is he? <laughs> Can't betting? do that. It's ESPN bet all the way. He worked. Is he, he betting worked, on Calvin hold on. Ridley? No, he had. Hold yeah, on, maybe he. Bet. Yeah, you mean yeah, he, he might have. He might have had. Well, he might. He, you're not. He at the time you wouldn't have been allowed to bet. Also, not legal in the state of Florida, by the way. Still isn't. So maybe he had lines that he drew. <laughs> maybe it's offshore accounts. Who knows? Maybe he's a Bavada guy or something. Who knows? Because you got to do offshore down there. Y'all, y'all neck of the woods. 
I yeah. want to know if he won or lost. That's the, <laughs> that's what I need to know. What was he taking? Well, and there there's so many jokes to be made here too. Like who 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 was it? Blake Bortles, Urban Meyer, CM Punk. <laughs> All right. Um <laughs> That's great. Uh all right, up next. Uh Taylor Swift was named Times uh Time Magazine's person of the year. But really, who cares about that? What we really care about is her actually talking about her relationship with Travis Kelsey really for the first time. Uh quote this all started when Travis, very adorably, put me on blast on his podcast, which I thought was metal as hell, she says. We started hanging out right after that, so we actually had a significant amount of time that no one knew, which I'm grateful for because we got to know each other. By the time I went to that first game, we were a couple. I think some people think that uh, they saw our first date at that game. We would never be psychotic enough to hard launch a first date. Amber, big deal, not a big deal, that they were dating for months before... That uh, that Chicago Hard Bears launch. game. Like and that's Gen Z that. story Hard ever. Uh, yeah, this is a big deal, clearly, because now Huge we deal. have an actual timeline for this budding romance, Courtney. It has been acknowledged by the queen herself. And so now we know that they were already a couple, even though there was breakdowns of the body chemistry and people were taking secret videos of them walking through the quarters of the stadium and everybody was analyzing this thing far too far apparently they'd been hanging out for months by the time we actually saw it with our own eyes and I think that's the part of it that makes this relationship at least positions it to last because I was at that first game that she showed up at Chiefs Bears you guys probably don't remember it because it was a national game oh, and it was turned off in most markets by halftime because it was an absolute blowout. But I was there. And I remember the video that emerged of her and Travis Kelsey walking through the bowels of Arrowhead Stadium on their way out. And there was like body language experts analyzing mm-hmm. their every move. It is nice to hear that this didn't the real story behind this, that it isn't some sort of corporate love story and some setup that feels like it's going to fizzle out. I will also say like all of the things she's been dominating time person of the year, like the wall street journal is featuring Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey on separate occasions. This is a big deal in terms of what this means for pop culture as as a whole and what we're going to remember this era as. And I know eras are kind of her thing. She's trademarked it for her tour. But this is like you think about some of like the, the, the love stories, the ones that have like stood the test of time, whether it's. You know, John F. Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe and other, like, iconic figures that, like, 50 years down the line, we're going to be talking about... It. What's that? <laughs> that, one's, that one had some problems to it. Of but course, yeah, but, like, I think, what you're saying. think about other ones that, you know, my... But didn't, I, you know, when they weren't married. To, <laughs> think about else. other, like, big figures in pop culture and politics and sports and music and all forms of life. Like, this one is going to be its own section in the encyclopedia if those things still exist a hundred years down the line. It's like Benefer or, you know, sure. any of those like famous celebrity couples, Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt, when they got together, whatever, it just takes Justin the world. Yeah. Or if you haven't seen the David Beckham documentary, by the way, sure. that's out on Netflix, that thing is amazing. Mm-hmm. And with him and Posh Spice and documenting their relationship and how young they were and the amount of scrutiny in the entire world was in on that relationship. And they were bigger than big. I mean, Travis, 
Travis Kelsey isn't nearly in the same stratosphere as either of those two people were in their career. I have been amazed how much, though, this has helped her, frankly, in terms of the limelight. Because I already, like, Taylor Swift doesn't need this. You can't get bigger than Taylor Swift, can you? And yet somehow I feel like this relationship with Travis has actually made people even more all in on her in some way. Like, you know, football fans have, I guess, discovered maybe music and and her star power that they wouldn't have otherwise. I I did expect that it would lift the star power of Travis Kelsey, and clearly it has done that. It has turned him into a bonafide superstar. It's good for podcast numbers, Courtney. (laughs) Oh, I can't even imagine. And I mean, for someone who is not into the Taylor Swift realm of this society, I feel like I know more about this situation now and just like with her name being invoked literally everywhere in my everyday NFL life than I would have had this not come into my realm. I was, I was, uh, we had uh, Jared Payton on who took the video yeah. uh, from uh, uh, right after, right after it happened. Like I was, uh, my, my daughter started listening to Taylor Swift, like in the summer at some point, like really listening to it. So when we drove back home to Pennsylvania, it was on in the car all the time. So I spent like my summer listening to the Midnight's album, and then all of a sudden she's dating one of my favorite players. It's really weird. So I guess I'm like a I'm like vaguely a Swifty now. I don't even yep. know. It's Sounds really like weird. you are. But her using metal as hell as a as a phrase. I'm all in on that. It's right up your alley. Let's go. What all does right. that even mean? Yeah, why I don't know. please metal explain. as hell though. Metal or metal? M E T A L. Like, like heavy metal, like oh, heavy metal. metal. Like she thought like it was like, like that's you know, gangster yeah. as hell. Like that yeah. was you know dope as hell. That metal was yeah. Hell, though. yeah. Metal is not hell. a fan of that. All right, <laughs> all right. So uh, one more real quick. It turns out the Lakers won't be back in black uh, in the semifinals tomorrow. The Lakers clinched a trip to Las Vegas and a spot in the semis of the NBA's inaugural in-season tournament with a 106-103 win over the Suns on Tuesday while wearing their black alternative city edition uniforms. The jersey said aesthetic has been a hit with the players, and L.A. is undefeated in the black uniform so far, all during the in-season play tournament. The Lakers went 3-0 in, uh, in two group play games against Memphis and Utah, plus the quarterfinal win over the Suns, uh, donning the black jerseys. While the Lakers players would prefer to continue to wear black, Against the Pelicans in the semifinals, sources told ESPN the NBA has other plans. Lakers will wear their gold icon jerseys according to their uniform schedule on the team website, which lists the uh, colorway plan for every game for the Lakers through the end of the regular season. The Pelicans will be in their all-white. I guess it has something to do with uh, contrasting colors. With the court. The, floor, right. the court. Uh, Courtney, big deal, not a big deal that the Lakers, who are 3-0 and in the Black City uh, Connect uniforms, will not be able to wear them the rest of the Tournament. I don't buy into the superstition on uniforms. I get it. Like the black jersey. I know the black jerseys apparently are lined with some good luck, I guess. But to me, you know, you've got a, a championship on the line here. I know people are going to be like, well, you know, slow your roll here. It's the in-season tournament. But these guys are very clearly taking it seriously. I don't think what color uniform they're going to be in is going to detract from that. Yeah, I think it's more about the people wearing the uniform and the jerseys than it is the actual jerseys themselves. Also, I kind of think these jerseys are a little overrated. Like, the black's cool, but I don't really like – I don't really get why it says Los Angeles 
in like an A, like the A. I don't know. I just don't. Love, I'll be honest. It's kind of I have not liked a lot of these. The Bulls had ones that are like, "What are you guys doing?" The Celtics ones that they wore a couple weeks ago, I was not a fan of. The courts are the worst, but some of these jerseys need to like find their way not to return next year. I mean, I I like tournament. obviously I'm a Heat fan, so I like all the City Vice jerseys and everything that that the Heat have with those. But generally speaking, with the way that this tournament has worked, I do like the idea. I like the concept. Like I like that the courts are different, so you turn on the regular season game, you know it means more. I do like that they're on to something there. They might need to tweak a few things aesthetically. It doesn't, it's not great that red courts on TV look orange and all that oh, kind of stuff. I, yeah, I feel like they can work that out here over the next year. So good idea, good concept, especially when they're going to try to sell it as a separate TV product, which we know they're going to, but I think they could do a better job making it look good. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, is it okay for rivals to make trades with each other? Courtney Cronin's filling in for Ian tonight. You remember a time when your rival traded a player to you or vice versa because it just happened in Major League Baseball and some people are surprised by two historic rivals dealing with one another. Courtney Cronin filling in tonight for Ian Fitzsimmons. You can find her at Courtney R. Cronin. You can find me as well at Amber W. Sports. Amber and Ian's presented by Progressive. The Yankees. Search for a left-handed bat drew them into enemy territory, Courtney. They they acquired Alex Verdigue from the Red Sox on Tuesday, yesterday, in a rare swap between these historic rivals. Here's why this matters, because it's the Yanks and it's the Bo Sox exchanging players. And there's just something that feels weird about that, Courtney. It's just like you need these two franchises to hate each other for eternity and to never cross-mingle unless there are games happening in the AL East at either site. Like this one feels weird. When I heard about this, I was like, wait a second. Did they not, like, did they mess this up? Was it the Mets and the Red Sox? Like, was there some sort of misunderstanding here? Like, nope. Yankees and Red Sox, trade the trade centered around Alex Verdugo because the winter meetings are going on. TikTok, Shohei Otani in camp. Just a side note there. I'd like to know where you're going this week. Please stop keeping things so quiet. Um, <laughs> but it's weird because Verdugo's 27 years old, and the Red Sox sent him to the Yankees to get some pitching, which we know. I'm like, the Yankees don't have pitching right now. So I'm like, hmm, this is interesting how this whole thing's going to work out. But this just doesn't happen all that often. And it got me thinking about, like, all of the times that, in all of the times meaning in jest, how rare it is to see rivals exchange, rivals that face each other regularly, right. multiple times during the regular season, as the Yankees and Bo Sox have been uh, wont to do, like, they're going to see each other again, and it's always it's always fun to judge, okay, all those months later, kind of like we saw in the NFC North last year. Remember the Minnesota Vikings made a trade with the Detroit Lions, who, yes, I know, started out the season poorly in 2022, but they sent TJ Hawkinson to Minnesota, and the Vikings made a playoff run in big part because of that offensive boost that they got. There's some of those moments where you're like, man, was uh was it really worth doing a deal with the uh, quote unquote devil there when you sent a player to the franchise that you hate the most? 
I can't really think of this happening very often, obviously, because it doesn't. I guess the most recent one that I was thinking of in like the world of basketball would be the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers dealing with one another. Now, are they really rivals? I mean, it's not Yankees, Red Sox, right? But they're in the same, same conference. conference. And, and so traditionally in basketball, you always think, oh, well, they're not going to trade that superstar within the same conference. And that was what was surprising there because, by the way, they were, in fact, trading a superstar. So it was surprising that they would maybe be willing to keep James Harden in the conference. It worked out just fine for everybody involved in terms of that because James Harden wasn't winning a championship anyways, anywhere he was and probably still not, even though he's been traded now to another conference. But you don't normally see that. You don't normally see teams willing to make other teams better that they have to face, even if they're not huge rivals, so to speak. And this is a weird one. I mean, there's not like when you pull... History across sports, there's not many of them. Donovan McNabb went from Philadelphia to Washington. You know, I mean, that's it's staying in the you know same conference there um well remember the whole Brett Favre thing with time. like the Packers and the Vikings he ends up finishing his NFC North his time in the NFC North by playing for the Minnesota Vikings but they weren't going to trade him to a division right. rival like there's ways around it where your superstar that you grew up or that you ended up watching for so many years ends up playing for a rival in your conference for another team, but it usually doesn't come by way of a facilitated trade. That meant the front offices of these two respected respective baseball teams had to agree to do this. And you can understand when you saw the downfall of the Yankees this year at the stretch of the season, why giving up pitching now feels like kind of a short-sighted move. I know that they needed power in their lineup, but are they going to end up regretting this one down the line? Time will tell. To do it, though, with a rival that you end up seeing multiple times a year, that's a that's a risky proposition. One, one of my one of my favorite things that ever happened in a trade deadline. I'm a, I'm a big Penguins fan. I'm, I'm going to try to get through this really quickly. That so one's a put, big that one's the big one that so, keeps coming so up. I, so I, I don't put trades. everyone to sleep. But is this from 2020? It was no. It was uh, it was 20. It was 2017. It was in the deadline. Okay. It was the year that the Penguins uh, would end up winning their second of consecutive Stanley Cups, but. Um, the, the Flyers, who I hate, uh, and you know, it's the Penguins' biggest rival, they traded a defenseman to the Lightning, and the Lightning immediately flipped him around and traded him to the Penguins. And mm-hmm. basically what it happened at the end of the season was that the Flyers paid this guy to win a Stanley Cup with the Penguins. And it's one of my favorite things that ever happened at a deadline, and it led to that. But he, there was a Lightning a involved part. in that. Yes, they flipped, but... The Penguins used the lightning right. to get the so guy they they did. To, to, yeah. to get who they wanted, the, but the they fly. had to lo- great, use a yeah. third team. Because normally, yeah, the front offices would never otherwise do it unless they had another partner it's in play. So and it's- I want I want my favorite teams to hate the teams that I hate. Yeah, hatred for each other. That's what I want. I want I want them to embrace the hate like I do. So Verdugo now heads to the Bronx in exchange for three right-handed pitchers. I think Verdugo's on the last year of arbitration. I think he's a free agent after this season. Coming up next here on ESPN Radio, Game Night with Q Myers and Emmett Golden. ESPN Radio is also available to you on the ESPN app.